and I started thinking about people in my network that I've spoken to about different investor conversations. And there's yeah. so much money right now that corporate America has um, that you know big names have that they're putting towards BIPOC issues and initiatives, yeah. but they don't have access to the culture. And a lot of people are designing solutions, but they're not going into these communities and saying, what do you need? Yeah. And so I said, I'm, I want to put my money where my mouth is, and everyone's yeah. money where their mouth is. I want to hold people accountable, and I want to raise the largest fund for the culture by the culture. In this episode of Next Play, Alicia Hanf joins me to talk about developing and maintaining a sense of self-discipline and drive in the startup industry. You may recognize her as the U.S. Army veteran and venture capital fund rainmaker who created the Dear Mama Fund. She discusses her experiences networking and fundraising to uplift female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color. Alicia, welcome to Next Play. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm so glad you were able to stop by and enjoy some milkshakes um, <laughs> and, and have a really nice conversation about the many projects that you're working on. Um, you are a motivational speaker, an investor, advisor, fund wrangler, startup jockey, and ecosystem builder. Um, I absolutely love your confidence <laughs> and purposeful drive. You're you know, a networker extraordinaire. Um, and I'd love to hear more about how you make things happen. But first, cheers. Thank you for being here. <laughs> cheers. So Amazing. I know that a lot of your drive um, to succeed and sense of discipline and grit comes from your time in the military, um, where you learned lessons like the importance of last known point. Um, we'll get there, but first I want to talk a little bit about young Alicia, um, yeah. eager to enlist in the military. What made you decide to join the army? Wow, so this is a really interesting question that I don't get asked a lot. and. Um, <laughs> I kind of like embarrassed to say this. So really, the, the honest answer I joined the military, or the honest reason why I joined the military, was to spite my mother. Um, wow. <laughs> so that's something that a lot of people don't know. Uh, my mom was somebody who is just one of the strongest women I know still to this day. Um, just really pushed me to be the best that I could be from a child growing up. Um, was kind of like relentless in just the standards that she held for me. And so one day we were having a conversation and she was like, you could never make it in the military. What, you know, what kind of, what would you imagine yourself doing? And I said, well, I want to jump out of planes. And she's like, there's no way you would make it one day in basic training. So one day in high school, we got into an argument as teenagers do with their moms. And she was like, I should ship you off to military school. And I said, you know what? I'm enlisting in the military. Wow. And so I went and started meeting with recruiters and my mom was mortified and was like, please don't go. And then, um, you know, a few months into that process, my grandpa was diagnosed with, with stage four cancer, wow. and he was actually, he was, he was dying from cancer, from lung wow. cancer. And so I said, Papa, um, you know, looking back at your life, like, what can you teach me? And he said, while you're young, what, you have your whole life ahead of you. I wish that I had more adventures. So he's like, go have adventures. He said, I wish I joined the military and I served. Wow. So he's like, if you have the opportunity to serve, to go on adventures and just live your life to the fullest, please do that and don't ever look back. And so that was the spark that from that conversation, I was working for Disney at the time. I went to the Anaheim Recruiting Center and I signed up to join the Army. Wow, okay. So you, you had gone to college first? And, and then you went, or this was straight out of high school? This was straight out of high school. Okay. And you were working at Disney straight out of high school? Yes. That's For amazing. Disneyland. Yeah, it was the okay, coolest okay. job ever. So I'm a big kid at heart. I love Walt Disney. I love okay. Disneyland. And Very being cool. able to go to Disneyland and watch the fireworks after work or just yeah. 
we would have characters come to our office and That's cotton awesome. candy. It was just all of the magic of Disney rolled into a corporate job. That's awesome. Um, you know, one of your superpowers is, is translating the lessons that you learned in the military into the tools that businesses and entrepreneurs can use to really improve their mindsets. Um, you often emphasize locating and gaining strength from the last known point idea. Um, you know, when I look at you, I see a woman who has translated her military experience into success. Um, you spent six years in the U.S. military and then retired as an army sergeant. So first of all, thank you for your service. Um, you. But can you explain more about last known point in a way that would be really helpful for young builders? Yes. So last known point is a life-saving principle I learned in the military um, and something that really applies through every aspect of life I've found, whether it's entrepreneurship, yeah. whether it's navigating tragedy, whether it's in business or school. Um, last known point is a military land navigation technique. So in the military, they give us a compass, a map, we're supposed to plot our points on this map and go get completely lost in the woods. Uh -huh. And if we don't pass this course, we cannot graduate basic training. And so when I first went out for land navigation, everybody knew I was from LA, they made fun of me. And yeah. I knew going into this course that I was 100% going to get lost. I did not grow up reading maps or going into the woods. I grew up in LA. Yeah. Um, and so before I went out on this course, the drill sergeant said, do you know what it means to find your last known point? And I said, absolutely not. And he said, when you get lost out there, which you will, don't panic, don't try to run around and you know, retrace your steps or make up for lost time. He said, just go back to the last known point and that's that last place you remember being found and just replot your course on your map and find your way. Mm -hmm. And how this applies to life or entrepreneurship is I find so often we as founders, we're like heads down and we're running in a direction. Yeah. And we might look up and say, how the heck did I get here? I'm so far off yeah. target or I ran so far with this idea and there's no way I can salvage this or make this work. And oftentimes what we want to do is just keep running faster in that direction um, because we're, we're so afraid to go back and say, okay, I have to retrace my steps yeah. or I have to go backwards. Um, but really the best thing to do is just to go back to that last known point. And so in business, that's often a values conversation. Yeah. Whenever I'm finding myself feeling lost in business, it's because something is in a misalignment. So I go back to like, what are my core values? What is my mission, vision, values? Yeah. Um, and in life, it's normally, you know, what's important to me? Who am I surrounding myself with? Yeah. But last known point is really a way that I managed to navigate one of the most traumatic situations of my life. And so I've had to practice it many times. And um, kind of how I even got to entrepreneurship or got here is about six years ago, my mom, we lost her. She was very tragically killed um, by somebody who he shot her in the head. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and so at this time, I was working for the NFL. I was in Baltimore working as an agent. And I really felt like I was at the peak of my career. And when I got that call from my brother, I just wow. left my entire life behind. And I immediately came home to California. And I felt the most lost I've ever felt in my life. Mm -hmm. As a single mother at the time, as somebody who was really building myself up in my career, I now had to go completely down to zero. Yeah. And Aside from that, I was managing one of the most traumatic situations I've ever dealt with. And so as I found myself feeling lost, stressed, scared, confused, I heard my drill sergeant's voice come back and say, do you know what it means to find your last known point? Mm. And for me in that moment, that was my army career. Yeah. And my army career was really the last place that I found at that time that I knew who I was, that I had a sense of purpose and um, passion and values and really a mission. Yeah. And so I went back to that moment and said, okay, how can I take what I learned in the military, 
and define my new mission, my new sense of values, and get back on track. That's amazing. Uh, that's, wow, what an amazing story. Um, sorry for your loss, but it's, you. it's amazing how you took that loss and managed to, to you know, create so much success in your life after that and, yeah. and, and using the concepts you've learned in the military to do that. Um, well, the, the choice is ours. You know, the, in yeah. any situation like that, we have the power to let that change us for better or for worse. And oftentimes we don't realize how much control we have in those situations where we feel so powerless of just choosing yeah. to go the route that's more positive versus one that's negative. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of veterans though, and I mean, a lot of people I guess know about this, but the veterans have a lot of struggle acclimating back to regular society. Mm -hmm. How was it for you coming back, um, you know, of, of course this experience happened after, right? Your mom passing. Yes. But how was it when you first came back from, from being in the military? Yes, so... Acclimating back to regular civilian life. <laughs> Acclimating back to regular life, what is that? So in the military, we do a really great job, I find, of just becoming our own super culture yeah. and really removing ourselves from the rest of the civilian world, as you, know, as you said. Yeah. And what makes that transition so hard is that in the military, you know, we wear uniforms, so we all have that sense of belonging. Right. We have our patches that we wear on our uniforms, so it, it's like our identity. We're wearing our name on our, on our uniform. It says U.S. Army, yeah. U.S. Navy, whatever your branch is, and then whatever unit you're on, you have those patches. So our identity is given to us, and we have a purpose and a mission that we're reminded of every single day because we're doing that job. And so so when we transition, now we've taken off the uniform, we've stripped off the nameplates, and so we feel like we've lost our identity. Wow. And so going into choosing your job or your next mission is often challenging because we don't really know who we are, and our identity has been really wrapped up in the uniform that we've right. taken off. Um, so what really helped me transition is that I feel like most veterans are wired to serve and lead, and so I put myself... I didn't put myself, I had mentors who helped me put myself into a position to serve yeah. and in a leadership position immediately after the military. And so um, my transition was pretty seamless because I had amazing mentors that helped me navigate to each step along the way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of veterans get lost is not having that someone there to help them and guide them to the next the next point. Yeah, can you tell me about those mentors? I think a lot of entrepreneurs and builders in general struggle to figure out what is a mentor and, mm -hmm. and what, do, what do I actually need and how long do I want to stay with a mentor? Why would someone even mentor me? Yeah. Uh, who were some of the people who really shaped that transition experience and, and what, what effect did they have? Yeah, so I have to say this woman's name. Uh, her name Thank is Fawn, Fawn Sanchez. She was my first mentor out of the military. Okay. And um, a lot of how I had help was actually asking for help. So I think the biggest lesson is is ask for help, and it's yeah. perfectly okay to say, I don't know, and to say, you know, how can you help me? So veterans and college students, I think, are the two groups of people that no matter, you know, you can never say no to them, right? So if you're like, I'm a veteran, I'm looking for a job, or I'm transitioning, can you help me? People aren't gonna tell you no, and same with students. So for anyone who's in college, getting ready to graduate, or a veteran transitioning, like this is the perfect time to ask anybody for help. And so this woman, I reached out to her, and I said, I'm getting out of the military in a couple months. Um, help me with my resume. Can you? Can we start having some informational interviews? And what is the best next step for me? Because I had no idea. And I said, these are some of the things that I'm interested in and some of the things I'd like to do. And I wanted a big fancy job. And I said, can you help me? And she said, not only will I help you with your resume, but I'm going to get you a job working on my team. Wow. And so she did that. And she's somebody who, not just that first job out of the military, but my second job out of the military, she helped me with as well. And she even put me in a position to where we worked alongside each other. She put me in a management position right away, gave me more probably leeway and um, 
and just responsibility than I knew what to do with, but it pushed yeah. me into really working hard and growing. And what, was, what, what industry was this in? So This was in government contracting okay. initially. Yes, oh, nice. and then I went into work in operations, and um, I found that I've had really amazing mentors throughout my career, and some of the things that I've asked for is just really like, what does success look like here? How have you been successful in your life, and how can you help me get on that path of success? Yes, and so because of that, you know, you, you're you know, the walking example of success and of coming out of the military and being able to build something out of it and, and, uh, and, and taking so much good from the experience. Can you tell me a little bit about you know, the programs and support organizations that um, perhaps you're a part of that provide resources and assistance to veterans? Yes, absolutely. So one of the best organizations that I've found that's out there is an organization called Bunker Labs. And it is an accelerator type of program um, for military veterans. And we, we say the military connected community. So military veterans, military spouses, which are so important, and also military children. And so what this organization has done is built really incredible ecosystems around veterans as entrepreneurs, but also the resources that they're going to need along their way. And so Bunker was really instrumental for me as I started as a tech um, founder. So as yes. I was starting a startup, which can be one of the most lonely, isolating, frustrating, hair pulling Indeed. out things you'll ever experience. And I found myself feeling extremely lonely and also feeling crazy. Like, am, am I alone? Um, I'm a veteran. There weren't a lot of veterans that I found in yeah. the space. And so not only did Bunker Labs take me in, but I ended up becoming a big part of their organization and helping building out that accelerator to scale to several cities. Wow, that's amazing. And how did you get uh, into the startup world? How did you get into tech? How did I get into tech? Um, so when we lost my mother, I got my two younger brothers together and I said, we have to make a pact right now that we're going to make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. And so one of my personal missions is I wholeheartedly believe that I can change the world a little to a lot each day. And so we started asking ourselves, how can we make a difference? And for me, I felt that education was a huge place to make an impact. Yeah. And it was something that my mother was really passionate about. And I also believe that technology can save the world. So I got into ed tech. And I started working with college professors and realized that students and professors felt so lonely and isolated and disconnected. Mm -hmm. But that was also a problem that I was facing for myself as a veteran in tech, as a woman in tech. And all these things. So I started off to solve a belonging problem for the world, which was also something that I was feeling for myself. Very cool. Um, so I want to pivot a little from your experience in philanthropy with the military and our vets and, and talk more about this entrepreneurial marketing and investing side of you. Yes. Um, because you have some massive things going on right now. <laughs> Um, so much of your professional development has drawn from your, you know, your driven mindset, um, as well as your ex exceptional networking skills. Mm -hmm. um, you've made a splash in the world of sports and esports, um, building a great network and leveraging that into investing in tech opportunities. Um, tell me a little bit about the Champions Round and, and how you have been building momentum as sports return to normalcy this year. Yes, so sports is an amazing industry in that if they touch everybody all around the world. So if you look at globally, sports is one of those few industries where it doesn't matter what country you're in, um, you have 
you love sports, you have access to it, whether it's kids playing soccer barefoot to, right. you know, gathering in a, in a, you know, a bar or a restaurant, just yeah. like huddled around the TV, cheering on or heckling other teams. So yeah. sports speaks to everybody regardless of the language you speak, and it's beautiful. In terms of Champions Round, they really saw an opportunity in sports to unify people based off of the experiences that they had as founders with sports bringing their families together. So um, Carter and Chase, the founders, exceptional founders, they were like, how do we create this experience of family connectedness um, and this, this great American, this great feeling that we have playing sports with our family into a tech environment. Um, they also came from, you know, tech back or, or tech and sports backgrounds yeah. as well. Um, but they're really revolutionizing the industry is that they're one of the first social betting platforms that's out there. So they're really disrupting esports and gaming. Okay. And um, what does that mean, social vetting? Social betting. Oh, social betting. Yes. Yeah, so they have a few different mechanisms within their app where you can bet in social environments, whether it's um, ranking different teams, um, creating different social groups and different teams for whether it's, you know, something going on with the NFL or N NBA draft to um, actual, like, Final Four, Sweet 16, NCAA okay. basketball. That's very cool. So you went from tech though to marketing right so it was that startup world in in tech and then you pivoted to marketing how what was that transition like how did that happen yeah i think it actually went the other way around so i started okay. off in marketing and okay. then found myself in tech and bringing everything full circle yeah. a lot of this even started off with bunker labs and so okay. with bunker um, I ended up realizing that my biggest needs as a startup founder was that I needed access to capital resources, mentorship, and education. Okay. And as a single mother, military veteran, woman in tech, you know, minority, all these things, yeah. I kept looking for somebody so I could say, because she's doing it, I can do it to her. Because she did yeah. it, I could do it too. And I didn't see that person. So I said, okay, I'm going to build this for myself. Wow. And when you talked about being this master networker, I started yeah. reaching out to every VC and every angel, everybody in my network and, or in, that I knew on LinkedIn and yeah. said, hey, can you come help us? And so one of the amazing mentors I met along the way, his name is Rob, Rob Vickery. He started off at a venture fund in LA and now is in New Zealand. But he oh, nice. said, um, I think you could really be in VC. Why don't you, you know, switch hats a little bit and come onto yeah. the other side of the table. And so through um, being in that position with Bunker Labs and then starting to share deal flow, I had so much access to deal flow because everybody was sending me deals and saying, look at these companies. Yeah. I started you know, being able to provide value to some of these VCs and angel investors and saying, why don't you look at this company? Okay. And um, from that ended up just really putting myself in a position of leadership within the community. And that's how I found Champions Round. Somebody sent them and yeah. said, you have to take a look at this company. One of the people I work really closely with is Baron Davis, yes. who is a two-time NBA All-Star, investor in Vitamin Water, as well as about 60 other companies. Okay. And so they said, this could be a really good partnership for some of the athletes you work with. And then I just loved their team so much. I said, how can I be involved more? It's amazing. What, what advice do you think you would give to a young entrepreneur who wants to get involved in the world of sports and marketing? Just do it. Not to just take my slogan. <laughs> um, I think that jump if you in. jump in, yeah, yeah, find a company that you like out there that's doing some really amazing things, and DM the founders and say you want to be involved, or um, yeah. find a gap and fill it, and say you know find the problems out there that you're facing or your community's facing, yeah. and figure out a way to solve that problem. I like that. Um, a few episodes ago, I had uh, a friend of mine and, and guest Casey Adams on the show, and we talked about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he tried to 
bring me up to speed on them. But I feel like the more I learn about crypto and the more I learn about NFTs, the less I actually know. <laughs> but I know they're huge in the sports world right now, um, especially in the NBA, and have also found a place in esports and digital entertainment. Um, how have NFTs become important in the kind of work you do across both sports and esports marketing? Yes, so I feel like I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I think NFTs are incredible. And one of the things that I think is really important about NFTs is that it gives these athletes or creators a chance to own kind of their own image, their own like access to themselves. And so where we know that um, the, the NFL and the NBA and a lot of these major franchises make a lot of money, and certainly the top athletes do too, but their the rights to their image, the rights to you know right. what they do is getting used so often. And how amazing would it be if you had a you know somebody like a Carmelo Anthony or um, a Dwayne Wade that comes up with something really cool of themselves and NFTs it? And we've seen yeah. the popularity pick up with this. Floyd Mayweather just released his NFT. And what I think is even more exciting about this is uh, the opportunity to take maybe some of these esports big players that maybe aren't household names, yeah. making like trading cards, like maybe Pokemon style trading cards oh, nice. of them, getting those in circulation, but giving some of these um, non-traditional athlete celebrities a yeah. chance to really make a name for themselves. That's amazing. I love how that's opening the door. I, I love how tech in general opens the door for so many different so many opportunities um, within industries that have been so antiquated for so long. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, though, about one more layer to your experience in the sports and esports field, which is that you've, of course, overcome all sorts of challenges as a veteran, but the sports industry is notoriously male-dominated. Mm -hmm. um, the realm of esports has an even worse reputation with, with numerous examples where female professionals are not given you know, the respect they deserve. Um, how did you make it in, in the sports and esports industry as a woman? Like, what, what helped you forge your path in the industry? Yes, so my biggest advice here to others and to myself yeah. is just to um, show up and be your true authentic self. Okay. And I got this from Brene Brown, and one of the things she says is don't, you know, puff yourself up, don't make yourself small, just yeah. show up and be, show up and stand your sacred ground. And I think in the military is another place where it's extremely male dominated. Yeah. I was on a team of 14 that was all men, I was the only woman. Oh, wow. And fortunate for me, I was often celebrated for my strengths as a woman. And so my team would say, use your combat multipliers. There's things that you can do as a woman, as a woman. there's strengths that you have that we'll never have as men, mm. lead with that. And so I was really conditioned early to, um, to really carry myself in a male dominated world. But one story that I'll share is I was in an event one time with extreme high net worth individuals and it was all, women, all men and I got invited accidentally as a woman. What does that mean, an accidental <laughs> invite? Somebody that was invited brought me as a plus one. Uh, okay. You were allowed a plus one, but it was supposed to be men only, and he didn't know that. So he's like, you should be in this wow, room. Wow, it was intentionally a male only event. Yes, and so as I got to the event, one of the men came up to me and he said, you're the only woman in this room. You must be really proud of yourself. And I said, actually, it feels like failure for me, and it should feel like failure for you too, because yeah. I'm the only woman here. There should be more women at this table. You're literally at a table. And um, I think that's just kind of a call for the industry and really for everyone is looking around and if you see that there aren't women in the room, really ask why there aren't and yeah. what you can do to bring women to the table because we have a voice, we're powerful, we're strong, and we deserve to be there just as much as the men do. I love that. So 
getting into that, I guess, the, you know, the last big thing I want to talk about with you is your big next play, and it's a rather large one. It's the Dear Mama Fund. Yes. Um, and your various fundraising and investing enterprises as well, I want to hear about. But I've heard some very large numbers attached to this fund, and, and you, <laughs> you, know, you brand yourself as an alpha rainmaker. So, um, you know, I want to hear about this biblical scale flood of fund that you're, you know, you're about to bring. Um, what's Dear Mama, you know, who, who are you bringing together? What kind of numbers are we talking about? Yeah, so we're raising upwards of a billion dollars for the Dear Mama Fund. Okay. And um, it's so interesting that we talk about crypto and all these other things because really the basis of Dear Mama is a fund for the culture by the culture. Okay. And how I came to come up with the name for this fund is um, several months ago, somebody asked me, you know, what is your dream? And I was really triggered by this because I said, mm -hmm. it is, first of all, when you ask somebody what their dream is, there's a lot of vulnerability yeah. that is needed to really share your dream with somebody. And a lot of people don't have that vulnerability or that safety to feel like they are allowed yeah. to dream. You know, look at a lot of communities. Dreaming is really a privilege. Mm. And even if you do have the vulnerability to, sh to say, this is my dream, a lot of us don't have the means to execute on that. Yeah. And so there are so many people, young people, old people growing up out there who are like, I would love to have my own business or start a startup or have this idea, but I am you know, the first person in my family to go to college or I'm working three jobs to support my family. Yeah. Even myself as a single mother, people have often said to me like, you're crazy, why don't you go get a real job, you know? Mm. And so I was really triggered by this. Yeah. And I was at a point where I, I was kind of taking a, a step back from my role in managing a fund for a few high net worth individuals and knew I wanted to start my own fund and was playing with a few names and um, went to visit my mom's grave for the first time and in, in since, you know, first time ever. And I started to write her a letter and I said, dear mama, I wholeheartedly believe that it is my mission and my purpose in life to create the ecosystem where people feel safe enough to dream, to empower people to heal from their trauma, and just to know that regardless of whatever you've gone through in life, we're worthy enough of pursuing our dreams. Yeah. And I wrote this letter, and I went to my car, and I kept like thinking, Dear Mama, Dear Mama. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put on Tupac's Dear Mama. Uh, and so I put on Dear Mama by Tupac yeah. and turned it all the way up. And I started thinking about people in my network that I've spoken to about different investor conversations. And there's yeah. so much money right now that corporate America has um, that you know big names have that they're putting towards BIPOC issues and initiatives, yeah. but they don't have access to the culture. And a lot of people are designing solutions, but they're not going into these communities and saying, what do you need? Yeah. And so I said, I'm, I want to put my money where my mouth is and everyone's yeah. money where their mouth is. I want to hold people accountable and I want to raise the largest fund for the culture by the culture. So having really incredible people running this fund along with me and raising a fund to actually create the ecosystem where people can pursue their dreams. That's Amazing, um, but I think a lot of people would hear that and be like, "Where? How, what is that? Even, how do you do that? How do you do that?" Um, so tell me a little bit about the process of actually putting together, um, you know, a purpose-driven investment yeah. plan. You know, who do you who do you get in the room to do that? Yes. And, and how do you convince them to put, you know, that much? I mean, I'm sure you're getting tons of investors, but how do you convince someone to put that much money down um, for purposeful investments? Yeah. Um, I think it's to the point to where it's it's like today is Juneteenth. We talk about reparations. Yes. Like, how are we not? putting 
money towards this? How are we not making mission-driven investments yeah. in 2021? Um, I'd like to call actually everybody out. Like if this was like that, you know, Floyd Mayweather like fight. Like I'd like to like be up there. Like I'm calling you out. I'm calling everybody out. Yeah. Um, and there's two different ways with this. A lot of it is with there's a DAF attached to it, so a donor advice fund, so yeah. people can make donations or people can make traditional investments. Yeah. Um, and a lot of this is storytelling. So things yeah. like this, where we're talking about the story, we're yeah. talking about the challenges, but also talking about the opportunities. And one of the things that um, I think is the biggest part of this is rewriting the narrative. Somebody, I was on a panel um, last year and someone raised his hand. He said, I'm black, I'm gay, and I'm a veteran. When I walk into a room, I automatically have three strikes against me. How can I raise capital? Mm -hmm. And I said, actually, we have to rewrite the narrative because when you walk into a room, somebody should see a veteran, so who's wired to serve and lead. We should see a black man who's had to overcome adversity time after time again and knows how to step up in tough situations. Yeah. And as a gay man who's had to stand firmly in his authenticity and will lead that company and the community with authenticity who's not investing in that person. Yeah. So a lot of it is storytelling, reaching out to my network and my, asking my network to bring in the people who are willing to make investments, yeah. um, small or large, and we're just not gonna stop until we do it. I love that, and storytelling is so, it, it, it's one of my favorite things, and it's why I have this show in general, is because I, I wanna highlight these, these stories and these people who are doing so many things for the world and for the culture. But it's also, I, I love the sentiment that you had about putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Because it's not just you doing that, but it's these investors, mm -hmm. right? All day long you go on LinkedIn and Twitter and you see mm -hmm. these people that are there and being like, I want to invest in black founders. I want to invest in, in you know, multicultural things or whatever that's great for the world, but they don't do it. They're not and doing they don't, it. And they don't even know where to begin. They don't have people within their network. They don't have diverse friends or whatever mm -hmm. else. And so they definitely struggle with it. So I like this. You're making it easy for them to like, to do that. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's one of the bigger needs. Mm -hmm. to make it easy to do good. Make yes. it easy to um, you know, be inspired or uh, aspire to be to be great and do yeah. things for the world. Everybody should feel the calling to make a difference, especially in today. Yeah. And this fund will make it easy for people to say yes and the storytelling will make it hard for them to say no. Yes. What what about the resources um, that you find are most impactful for entrepreneurs of color or, or female business leaders um, and, and in what areas you feel there's still a really great need? Mm -hmm. I think um, social capital is the big one. Okay. I think what we need um, is when we talk about flipping narratives, if you look at the VC landscape right now, um, if you're looking at who's making the investment, so we, I feel like we beat up on white men a lot, but we have to start putting um, people of color in these positions to actually write checks. So yeah. me representing that diverse fund manager, I hope other people are gonna start to say I can be a fund manager too, mm -hmm. um, and I'm gonna start making some investments. But I think yeah. the biggest need is for us to see people who look like us, because we're more likely to ask and feel confident asking when we see people who look like us. I think the biggest need is if you are in a position to make a donation of time, of money, of service, of yeah. education, of resources, of your platform, um, offering that up, finding somebody like me or others and saying I'm ready to serve, whether that's with office hours, whether that's helping some of these startups solve problems. And the biggest, the biggest need is education. So um, how do we, we don't know what we don't know, but how do we put things in place where a lot of these startup founders can say this is steps one through ten for me to have a successful startup? I love it. Finally, I guess I'd, I'd ask, what can young entrepreneurs, especially those who are for the culture, take from your mindset and philosophy to help them start a new business or even just bounce back after the challenges of the last year? 
Yes, so I think um, going back to last known point is really just taking a big deep breath and yeah. whether we are feeling pressure to start something new, whether we're feeling the pressure that the last year with COVID and all the shutdowns have put on our business, just taking a, a breath and there's so much power in the pause of just giving yourself that grace mm -hmm. and that reset. There's so much power there. So not being afraid to say, I'm pausing. Um, we saw Howard Schultz did this with Starbucks. He shut everything down and he yeah. said, we're gonna go back to the books. We're gonna learn how to make a cappuccino the right way. What does that look like for your business of just taking that pause yeah. and of really defining what does success look like? And then um, as you're starting to define those points, like really checking in with values and also just not being afraid to show up authentically. Yeah. I think that's my biggest advice. That's the biggest advice I got is just never be afraid to show up and be your true authentic self. Yeah. Um, look around your network and see if you have people who can help you. And if you don't have the people around you who are willing to offer help, then look for a new community because that's likely not the community for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then just find an opportunity to provide service and help to others. So there's so much abundance that comes our way when we can just simply reach out our hand to help somebody else. I love that. You are so unique, so special. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. Please tell us where can people find you? How can they support everything that you're working on and doing for the community? Yes, thank you so much for having me. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alicia the Key. You can follow Dear Mama at the Dear Mama Collective. And our website is DearMamaFund.com. Amazing. <laughs> I hope to see you soon again and have more amazing conversations. Thanks yes, again. Thank you.